Hey everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to talk about drafting blue-green in uh, Phyrexia All-Holy One. As always, the notes are available uh, to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for patrons. At the time of my preparing uh, this episode, there was really no 17 lands data. There was some like metadata kind of from the early access event, but not a sufficient sample size to get a like game in hand win rate with any of the cards. So this episode is very much based on my own perceptions and experiences and also what people have been discussing and not based on uh, the usual data that I would reference. So for contact, there's that. Also, I think still less than 20 drafts into the format, so uh, this is still very much first impressions, so take all of it with a grain of salt. I'm discussing blue-green despite or because of the fact that I think that it's perceived as the weakest archetypes. Blue, in general, is, uh, I think, widely considered the weakest color, and I think that uh, when people have had success with blue, from my experience and people I've talked to, is usually when it's paired with red or white using the aggressive blue artifact cards. So that kind of leaves blue, green, and blue, black as like the weakest two archetypes. Again, not sure that's how it's going to shake out in the long run, but early perception from people I've talked to. Um, I played in the Star City Games Open and day two in all of the drafts that I saw blue was more or less completely ignored no one was taking any blue cards everything was going really late in blue people really wanted to be in other color combinations so my goal here is to talk about how to take advantage of all these blue cards that are going late and how to draft an archetype that might not be so obvious um, i think people have generally figured out how to draft kind of like the white infect decks and like the red white equipment deck and even some of the like blue artifact decks and of course the Jund Oil decks, but blue has been a kind of a mystery. There are a lot of like bad blue cards and a lot of wrong ways to use them. So I hope to clear some of that up. Also, yesterday I had a blue green draft that will uh, be on YouTube um, where I uh, finished 7 0 with a deck that had no rares. So theoretically, that means that something good is happening at common and uncommon, which means that it should be relatively easy to replicate, or at least, you know, not the exact same deck, but the pieces are there, theoretically, potentially. Or maybe I just got lucky in that draft. As far as things in that draft that went unusually, that contributed to its wins that you might not be able to count on, I did have two evolving adaptives, which is kind of the, like, uh, experiment one type card. It's uh, green for a zero zero that enters with an oil, and uh, gets another oil whenever you play a creature with more power or toughness than it, and then has plus one, plus one for each oil on it. That card is probably the best green uncommon for this archetype, so having two of them is very nice. I also have four Contagious 4X. That's probably the best common for the archetype. The draft, you know, was going well in the commons and uncommons that you want to see were available, again, because people aren't really prioritizing uh, these colors and those cards, so... You know, if you were fighting over these, you wouldn't expect to see stuff like that. But as long as this color combination is underdrafted, you might be able to get stuff like that not too infrequently. So let's talk about what's going on in the format and Blue-Green's positioning and how to deal with that. Fire Excel will be one is a very fast and aggressive format. As such, 
people often compare it to other fast formats like uh, Amonkhet and Zedekar. And those are sets that people sometimes talk about as having the characteristic that blocking is illegal. The reason that blocking is illegal to the extent that it is in those formats is that those formats have mechanics that make creatures larger when they're attacking them when they're blocking, uh, specifically exert and landfall that uh, often give extra stats or some kind of evasion to creatures uh, when you use them. This set does not have a mechanic like that for the most part. I mean, arguably some uses of oil function that way, but that's not really what's going on here. Instead, this set has a mechanic which uh, is more punishing when you don't block a creature, specifically toxic. So in this set, I would say it is more, closer to blocking is mandatory than that blocking is illegal. And I think that you can draft a blocking deck and it's a coherent thing to do. I think what everyone was seeing early on is that the format is really all about the first couple turns and having a good curve and playing to the board or getting ahead of the board or having more stuff on the board than your opponent. If you don't play a creature until turn three and your opponent plays a creature on turn one and on turn two, there's a really, really, really good chance you're going to lose that game. If they have a removal spell, then you're probably like, you know, if those were toxic creatures, you're already corrupted and things are going to snowball out of hand really quickly from there. So you need creatures that uh, can come down early that can block these threatening creatures. And these threatening creatures, if you have creatures that can block them, so like if you have a flyer to line up with their uh, like one one proliferate uh, toxic flyer, then they're not really that scary. Uh, it's really just it, them hitting you that's the problem. And they're very realistic to block. You just have to have a curve. And by a curve, I mean a million one and two drops. I've seen people have success with things that they considered control decks, but those control decks still had like four to six one mana spells and like, I don't know, 10 two mana spells. You have to participate in the early game because uh, the set's really, really snowball-y. The early game determines whether I, one player or the other uh, is corrupted and it builds synergies for the oil stuff and it establishes who's going to be able to connect. As long as you're not falling behind and you're keeping pace with your opponent, you don't have to be playing aggressive creatures. You can play defensive creatures and then the board can stall and a lot of the aggressive decks can really, really struggle once the board stalls uh, if they're pretty small creatures that need to do damage to the opponent to do anything don't connect. So if you're trying to play a control deck or a defensive deck, you need to make sure that you're playing one and two and three mana creatures and that those creatures are creatures that are designed or that are good at blocking. If you play the creatures that are good at attacking and you have to use them defensively, you're not likely to accomplish your goals of like gumming up the board. Most of the creatures in this set are good at one role or the other. The cards all have a purpose. You know, all of the ones with Toxic, more or less, have the purpose of attacking. Just think about what your cards are doing and what your deck is doing and try to line them up, but I'll, I'll go into more detail about which cards to look for specifically here. So anyway, I think that like when people have a deck full of one and two drops, 
they want to be able to attack with those one and two drops because uh, you know you want to punish your opponent when they stumble. When you when your draw is good and their draw is bad, you want to be able to attack and punish them. And so it's very natural to conclude, oh, this format's about having a low curve. It's probably about attacking, or I should probably attack. But I guess I guess my thesis is it's about having a low curve, but you can block. In that way, I think this set is actually really similar to Brothers War. Brothers War kind of wanted like the lowest curve of any format that I'd seen previously. And this format just wants you to have a curve that looks like that. You can attack or block. Doesn't really matter. You, the most important thing is just, you know, keeping with whatever sort of curve you were drafting in Brothers War. Just draft the same sort of curve here. It should be okay. So while attacking with toxic creatures has been great, really good way to run over people who like don't play a creature on turn one or two. I'm not convinced that long-term it's going to be a dominant strategy. I think once people figure out the curves they need and the creatures that block well against the toxic creatures, uh, we might see a shift to the toxic creature being a little bit less successful. So the nice thing about blue green, as far as it's positioning in the format is that it has a lot of cheap creatures with a lot of toughness, specifically a lot of like one, two and three mana creatures with three toughness. Uh, which is really enough. If, you know, you're playing blue and green, you should prioritize and play those creatures. And like a lot of them. The creatures that are good at blocking are creatures that I generally haven't liked, like the long legs, the one and a green, one, three reach that you can spend one and a green and sacrifice it to proliferate. Really bad aggressive creature, really not good in a lot of decks. But if you're just trying to buy some time, uh, it does, you know, there, there aren't any like one and two mana creatures that attack into it well. So, you know, it can buy some time. And then in the late game, you can sometimes get a meaningful proliferate out of it. But mostly it's just trying to get you to the late game. Another similar card is the one blue one three, the uh, Icker Synthesizer. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you put a counter on it. And then when it has four counters, it gets plus two power and unblockable. I mentioned early on that I played this in a like blue-red aggressive deck, and I found that it was really hard to draw my cards in the right order to reliably make it a good attacker. I don't think that's what you're supposed to do with this card. I think that this card is supposed to like block and give you some kind of inevitability in a deck that's really dedicated to blocking. So the thing that I'm gonna get into next is like, okay, so if you're just playing a bunch of blockers, like how do you win? Specifically, don't you just like lose to a planeswalker at some point? The answer is you do need to uh, have some cards that are gonna win you the game, but you don't need a lot of them and they don't require a lot of work. And this is a good way to have a card that can block early. And then, you know, once you've established a board stall, sat around for a while, it can actually kill your opponent. Yeah, so there are these three toughness blockers. You want them and then you want you know, the good three, the good blocking three mana creatures and also the good blocking one mana creatures. Rust Fighting Cultivator, the one, two that can tap to get an oil and tap and remove an oil to untap a land is more important as a blocker than as a mana generator. It certainly can do some good work generating mana. Usually it does that meaningfully about once a game, but the one, two uh, can really help buy you time early or stop people from getting in early. I'm even reasonably optimistic about Glistener Seer, the zero three for one um, that can tap and remove a counter to scry. Similar to Icker Synthesizer, I had experiences with it early when I tried to play it in kind of more of a like red blue deck that wanted to be aggressive. But I think if you're blue green with proliferate and trying to just hang out, uh, it makes total sense to play it. Again, it can block most one and two drops. And this is another card that 
you know, for very little cost and contributing to your early defensive plan can also kind of help you overwhelm your opponent in the late game by uh, giving you better draws with the scry. So I'm going to rattle off the commons that I'm looking for. It's hard to do this when I have to also say what all of them do, but I shouldn't expect people to know the names of the cards this early into the set. So I'm going to talk about roughly what they are rather than the exact text. The cards that I'm looking for in blue-green are the cards that play defensively. I'm kind of taking it just as a given that blue-green wants to be defensive. Maybe there's a way to draft it aggressively, but I think it's pretty hard. The best green aggressive cards are toxic, which the blue doesn't support very well. You know, it you can eventually do it with uh, proliferate, but that's not really like a fast kill. And the best aggressive blue cards are the artifacts, which green doesn't really support. And so I think that you want to play a longer game and try to get some like proliferate value and some bigger stuff. And I believe that blue-green is best drafted as a thing that would look like a mid-range deck in most formats. But in this format, I think like mid-range very much is the new control. If you're trying not to die in the early game, that's basically going to put you at playing a control role for most of the game. And then you are just kind of trying to, to turn the corner pretty quickly with like your, you know, random like four, like four, four-ish, four-ish mana guys. But I think, you know, you want to think about the cards that you're looking for as looking for the defensive ones. So in green among commons, that means I'm looking for Contagious Forak, of course, the three mana, three, three that finds a land, Rustfine Cultivator, the one, two that gets oil on the lands that I talked about before. Oil Gorger Troll, the 5-mana 3-4 that uh, gains 3 life, and if you have another thing with oil, draws a card. Ruthless Predation, the epic confrontation reprint, 1 and a green star 3, creature gets plus 1, plus 2, and fights. Copper Longlegs, fighter that I mentioned, the 1-3, reach, sect, proliferate. And Icker Spit Basilisk, the 1-3 death touch toxic 1. In roughly that order... So great aggressive cards like Predation Steward, Lattice Blade, Mantis, and Branch Blight Stalker that I would be prioritizing in other archetypes. I'm not prioritizing in blue-green. You know, it's fine to play any of those if you need them to fill your curve or whatever. But in general, I'm looking to prioritize uh, the other cards that I said over them. You know, I, I think Lattice Blade Mantis is a much stronger card than Icarus Bit Esalisk. But I think in most blue decks, I would actually take the Basilisk over the Mantis. So in blue, I'm really just looking for Gixie and Raptor ahead of everything else. That's the three mana one four with three uh, oil counters on it. It has not been the most impressive blue card in other decks, but in blue green, I think it's definitely exactly where I want to be. Beyond that, the cards are a lot closer. I'm basically looking for just like one or two copies of Aspirant's Ascent. That's the one mana instant that gives plus one, plus three, flying, and toxic one. Bring the ending, that's the counter unless they pay two, corrupted card counter for blue and one. Experimental augury, that's the anticipate with proliferate. Glistener seer, that's the O3 that scries that I mentioned. Icar synthesizer, the one three bigger that I mentioned. Malkator's watcher, the one one flying vigilance draw card when it dies artifact. And quicksilver fisher, the three blue blue four three flyer that draws and discards a card when you play it i think that ends up being kind of one of the cards that turns the corner and kills your opponent relatively often in this archetype 
Although realistically, you're usually killing them if uncommons or rares. Those are kinds of kind of the cards that I think just lend themselves pretty well to blocking and play well in blue green. I mentioned, uh, you know, in this set, I think most of the commons are kind of like secret gold cards, or at least fit in like half of the archetypes and not the other half. So those are the commons that I'm looking for. The ones I didn't name, not really looking for in this archetype. Again, you can play them just if they fill your curve properly, or you think they're you know good in your deck for some reason, but less likely to be prioritizing them than the ones that I said. Neither of those lists closely match what I consider to be their strongest cards in a vacuum or overall. Again, this is specifically the cards that I think are defensively slanted, and that's actually the opposite of what most decks in this format are looking for. But I think that all of those cards do play well together in blue-green in this format. One of the draws to this deck is that the green uncommons, kind of across the board, are great and play really well in this strategy. You're really happy with any or all of Evolving Adaptive, the uh, one one that grows uh, with oil counters that I talked about before. Armored Scrap Gorger, the O3 that taps for a man of any color, and when it becomes tapped, can exile a card in a graveyard, and if it does, it gets plus one, plus one. Canker Bloom, the one under green 3-2 that can sacrifice to destroy an artifact or enchantment or proliferate or do something else. Uh, incubation Sack, the green artifact that comes into play with oil and can remove an oil to make a 3-3. Infectious Bite, the instant where one of your creatures has damage equal to its power to one of their creatures and they get a poison. Tyvar Stand, the one the X green uh, pump spell that also makes the creature hexproof and indestructible. The Battle Share, the giant equipment that kind of turns your rebel into a colossal dreadmaw. Venomous Brutalizer, the four mana, four, four, toxic three ETV you can spend one in a green to proliferate. And Viral Spawning, the Call of the Herd, two in a green for a three, three, a toxic one. And then it has flashback for the same cost if your opponent's corrupted. All of those are very good in blue-green. The battle share is excessive if you have cheaper finishers, but it's a really good finisher, totally good way to, you know, I mentioned that you want to have just a little bit of thought toward how you're going to win in the late game. And uh, that's a card that can do a lot of winning in the late game for not very many cards. Blue's a little bit less deep. Unctus is retrofitter. I think is the best blue uncommon overall. That's the two and a blue, two, three, toxic one that animates an artifact into a four, four. Can be awkward to fit in this archetype, but it's strong enough that if you have it, you should try to make it work. Prioritize spell bombs a little more highly. Uh, you can play some of the blue two mana artifact creatures or maybe even the Dune Mirror. I played a prophetic prism in my last draft. Uh, not the one that I mentioned earlier, but one that I did today. To, just to make it happen, and it was very good in that deck. Charler Drake can be really impressive. Sometimes it can be a little slow, but overall I think it's good. That's the three mana one one flyer that gets bigger whenever you cast a non-creature, although really it's getting bigger for oil and you can get oil on it. Other ways, Atmosphere Surgeon's amazing in blue-green. Uh, I know that I said that in general, you want cards that block Atmosphere Surgeon, being the one in a blue two one that gets a oil counter whenever you play a non-creature spell and can remove an oil counter at sorcery speed, to give a creature flying, that's an aggressive card because it can only be used at sorcery speed. But it's really, really good at just killing your opponent out of nowhere when you just give all your guys flying after you've been hanging out for a while. So while it's an aggressive card, it's one that plays well in the late game. And yeah, you can just trade it off early. Pretty happy with it in blue-green. 
Serum Snare, that's the one in blue bounce spell that if you bounce something cheap, proliferates. Thrumming Bird, that's a reprint. One on flyer when it hits to see you can proliferate. Tamios Immobilizer, that's kind of the icy manipulator. Blue 3 slash tumble magnet. Artifact that has four counters on it. You can tap a troop, uh, artifact or creature. Really good with proliferate, of course. Generally keeps things tapped down as long as you need it in blue green. There are some other solid playables, but those are the ones that you know, fit this deck better. Again, I think greens on commons are better overall, but the blue ones work well here. This archetype can splash. You know, in general, this isn't a format where I'm looking to splash, but of course, because you're playing a more defensive game, it's uh, going to hurt you less. Also, you're playing blue and green, so you get, you know, a little bit more access to card selection fixing with uh, stuff like the Vorak and the Glistener Seer and uh, the Anticipate. So... Pretty reasonable to splash here. There's some really good like gold uncommons and stuff that you can include. If you are splashing, I recommend trying to use Contagious Vorak, Evolving Wilds, and Thirsting Roots as the cards that fix. Avoid Prophetic Prism unless you have the Retrofitter, unless you really need it. Uh, spending two mana to fix your mana really hurts in this format. You know, I do think the format's all about getting creatures on the board early. If you have to play Prophetic Prism on two, it could be a big problem. But yeah, uh, splashing gold uncommons and or removal, especially, you know, a gold uncommon and a removal spell in the same color or whatever, which is what I've usually done, uh, can work really, really well in this archetype. It helps, you know, get you some extra power to win if you've locked up the board or get you some, you know, removal because there's not a lot of it in these colors. And, and you know, I, I don't want to play Mesmerizing this for example, people are going to ask why. The reason I don't want to play Mesmerizing Dose is that at three minute sorcery speed, I think it's usually trading down. I think the average cost or creature that people play, even when you want to hit with removal in this format, is below three. And then, you know, at sorcery speed, you're not getting any kind of like tricksy value out of it. And the proliferate that it gives you, I think, doesn't make up for that. Um, and then I also think that aura based removal is pretty vulnerable in this format with uh, specifically the white four mana, three, four, that can return a creature to make a might as a massive punish, but a reasonable number of other bad things can happen to you if you try to put auras on your opponent creatures, so I find it best to avoid all that. I think that mostly covers it. Blue-green's a mid-range deck. Mid-range functions as control in this format, and the most important things to do are make sure that you have a good curve and that that good curve is a good curve of creatures that block. There are a ton of, you know, if you fill your blue-green deck with, like, two ones that shrink your opponent's creatures uh, when they attack, and Predation Stewards, and 3-1 Toxic 2s, totally reasonable cards, they're not going to, like, do what you're trying to do, which is get a board stall into the mid-game where you can, you know, start having random things that have counters on them to proliferate, maybe like get a poison on your opponent somehow and then proliferate that while the board's stalled because you have a lot of toughness around and, uh, you know, your opponent's cheap creatures just don't have enough power to break through it. You have some card advantage that you're getting. So going to turn it over to chat for questions. Anything I didn't cover, any questions you've had uh, earlier that I didn't talk about, repost them now. Uh, as always, while I'm waiting for people to think of those questions and type them up and all that, I want to thank my newest patrons at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So this week, I want to thank John, Taylor, Richard, Eric, several Davids, uh, Colton, Guillaume, Gianluca, 
uh, Mateo, JM, Nick, and Michael. First of all, really nice wave of support. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, I assume that's some combination of a new format. And also, last week I mentioned that I had some extra content that I couldn't really get to in audio form in the notes. I assume that some portion of this is people who uh, were interested in those notes. So seeing the enthusiastic response to that, in general, I would say that I've kept this uh, podcast to, you know, only content that really makes sense in an audio form. And as someone who's written a lot of uh, magic strategy articles, there are some things that, uh, you know, you can cover a lot easier in writing you know, lists like the lists uh, that I read through of cards that you're looking for in detailed like ranking orders that someone's not really going to be able to like grok in an audio format, but can reference easily in a list. So seeing the enthusiasm in the Patreon for uh, kind of that, that stuff that I can't get across um, in words has been encouraging. I think moving forward, I'm going to try to spice up the notes a little bit with kind of some supplemental deeper dives that fit better in text. Hopefully not biting off more than I can chew here in terms of uh, promising more than I deliver. But historically, the notes have just tried to directly translate to what I needed to talk about. But I think I'm going to try to put a little bit more background research in diving a little bit deeper and having that available for patrons in the notes and also having it kind of more subtly, less directly inform what I'm discussing in the uh, episode that week. So thanks again for the support uh, to all those new patrons. And I'm going to take that as advice about how to improve the uh, Patreon experience moving forward. All right. So questions, what would actually put you in blue green? Great question. You know, of course there are just like good rares in Every color, that's a good start, especially to getting into blue or into green rather. Blue, blue is really struggling. I'm not going to lie in this format. In addition to having, I think, the weakest commons of all the colors, I think it also has below average uncommons and way below average rares. There are not very many blue rares that should put you into blue, but there are some. Realistically, I think the way that I almost always end up in blue when I am blue is I start in some other color that is hard cut because any other color can just get really, really, really totally cut in this draft as everyone's trying to avoid blue. And then I see, you know, the best blue cards available, stuff like Retrofitter going somewhere between sixth and ninth. And I'm like, all right, I get it. I'm at one of those tables where no one wants to take a blue card. If no one's taking any blue cards, I'm willing to bite the bullet and be the guy who's just like, all right, I get all blue. I'll try to build a deck out of it and then figure out, you know, how to do that. And I think I have some reasonable ideas about how to turn the blue cards uh, that are available into a good deck when you're getting basically all of them. So the way to draft blue-green, or the way that you get into blue-green, I think, is, you know, something put you into green. There are plenty of things that can put you into green. I mentioned a very long list of good green uncommons, or maybe you have a busted green rare. There are plenty of those. So you're drafting green X, X is anything, the anything gets cut, blue is wide open, and you pivot into blue-green. I think that's going to be uh, how I end up in blue-green a significant majority of the time. Although, as I get more comfortable drafting blue, just because I'm willing to draft it when it's open, I might start finding my I might find myself starting to just like, all right, 
I'll just be blue from the beginning because I assume it's going to be open and I might as well not waste the first four picks before I figure out that it's open and then move in. So some combination of a little bit more willingness to be blue, either because you get the memo that it's open or you just decide it's always open. Let's see. Next up is the battle chair, uh, which is the expensive green equipment, sufficient win con in this uh, blue green mid archetype. Yes, I mean, it's honestly almost overkill. Like, you're basically winning with, like, some combination of, uh, you know, random blue flyers, uh, which could be the blue-green uncommon, could be the the fish. Um, maybe you end up playing a last blade mantis, uh, oil gorger, troll. It could be that you just kind of have a board stall, your opponent's all like tiny toxic creatures and you have three threes and bigger and then you start attacking with them. Or it could be random flyers or it could be some big finisher like a rare or the battle chair. But if the board's fully stalled and you have a battle chair, you're probably going to win the game eventually, right? Like you send in this like 2-2 except it's a 6-6 six, six trample. Your opponent either takes 6 or has to like trade some huge amount of stuff for this thing that was actually a 2-2. Two, two. And then you put it on whatever random 3-3 you had sitting around and run it back. Like, your opponent has to kill you. They can't grind out the battle share. What do you think about bringing the ending, the corrupted miscalc in blue-green? I said, I mentioned soft avoiding toxic, but is it worthy curve filler? Yeah, I, I included it in my list of uh, blue cards that I'm happy to have, like, one or two of. Like, I think it's, you know, good, solid counterspell early and... You do often get them corrupted at some point. Like, it's nice to get a toxic in. It's not that hard. And then you have the thing to proliferate. And you proliferate them into, like, actually being poisoned. And then you have a two-minute hard counter. You know, I, I don't think it's a priority. I don't think it's something that you should avoid. I think it's, you know, a fine card to have, like, one or two of. Suggested splash uh, for Simic, white or red or black. Doesn't matter. Whatever, uh, whatever like, gold on comments you're seeing, basically, like, the deck that I went 7-0 with, I splashed red for the 5-5 five, five, uh, Vigilance, deal one damage to all of your opponent's creatures, cost less for every oil you have. Uh, Red-green uncommon, but the blue-red uncommon is also great. The blue-white, I guess both of the white-gold uncommons don't fit very well. Both of the black uh, uncommons fit reasonably well, but not as well as the red. So I guess... Red, then black, then white is the order of appropriateness of splashing the gold uncommons. And then other cards that I'd be looking to splash, rares that are splashable, of course. You know, like if you have a frask or something, that would be an incredible splash. As far as, I guess white's the least likely splash, like ossification comes to mind, but there aren't a ton of like white cards that make a lot of sense as a splash. White is like very aggressive overall. Black, you know, has a bunch of good removal you can splash. Red has good removal you can splash in addition to the gold cards. Doesn't this deck struggle against the Cosmetronic Wave in the format? Hazardous, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it could. I honestly haven't seen that card cast all that often. And, you know, you have the advantage that it's not, like, killing your creatures. It's just stopping you from blocking, and it's only stopping three of your creatures from blocking. That's going to be, you know, pretty devastating a large portion of the time. But if your opponent got some damage in and or you haven't gotten like a head on creature, like, I don't know. Yes. Yes. If it resolves in the spot where it's good, it's going to win the game. That's a true thing about that card. The problem with that card is that it's a dangerous card to play because it's so important to, you know, be able to participate in the early game in a way that it doesn't. 
I think that, you know, as far as like stuff you can lose to, I'd be more worried about like the planeswalkers and bombs than about that. As far as mid range control feels more vulnerable in this format than uh, previous ones. Yeah, it is. But uh, I think that the way that this deck kind of flourishes is by exploiting the way in which the aggro decks are kind of also vulnerable or exploitable. Like, I think there are a lot of decks that are just like playing small creatures that line up poorly against creatures with high toughness. And I guess my current assessment of the format is that you can get more wins through like good creature sizing than uh, you lose due to like bombs or game winning cards. And, you know, they're going to lose some games. There are enough different, like, this is a format that's really, really snowbally, arguably really play draw dependence. I've had, you know, good decks that will just like totally run someone over one game and get totally run over another game. So you kind of have to just like choose what you're willing to lose to. And currently the positioning of this feels to me like it's making some good trades in terms of like what it's beating and what it's losing to. How is Aspirant's Ascent used in this archetype? The follow-up question is, is it sort of a counter to opposing combat tricks? That's exactly right. Like my goal, basically I like uh, Ascent specifically because it costs only one mana and it like negates most opposing tricks pretty well. Um, so I'm basically looking to, you don't like using a trick defensively is very dangerous. If your opponent attacks a big creature into your small creature and you block and play a Titanic growth to try to kill their creature, they have all their mana up and they like use a removal spell or their own trick and you get two for one. Where you can use a trick defensively is if your creature is already bigger than their creature, they attack, clearly representing a trick, you block, they use their trick, and then you use your trick, and now you kind of like two for one them in a way that gives you a massive tempo swing. Because this deck is kind of positioned in a way that just screams, use tricks against me having the counter trick is particularly valuable. So that's why I like Ascent and Tyvar Stand specifically, because costing only one mana, they're not necessarily obviously telegraphed, especially because Ascent isn't widely played in the format. It's often something people aren't thinking about. You can get some real good counter trick value out of them. Also, playing with Ascent in my most recent draft, I found a number of spots where the opponent was kind of unexpectedly dead to how this thing flies. But the reason I'm playing it is specifically for counter trick. Um, and again, you know, you really want to find spots where you're using it only after your opponent uses a trick. You're generally not trying to, you know, use it to eat a bigger creature with a smaller creature, though, you know, sometimes that's going to be the play you need to make. I've also, you know, eaten flyers with it, of course, is another great uh, thing about it. There, of course, you're setting yourself up to get blown out, but at least uh, it's a spot where... You know, when your opponent attacks into you, they're kind of expecting this to happen and you have open mana. Whereas if they attack with a flyer, they're not necessarily playing around a combat trick that's going to let you block the flyer. So you're a little bit more likely to have it go well for you in that spot. Since it's hard to kill enemy creatures in blue-green, should you be trading when you block with Dixian Raptor? Is there more upside for keeping the body around, uh, making the board larger? Most of the time you're blocking, the creature that you're blocking is one that's just like intended to attack. Like, you're talking about the lack of, you know, removal. That's going to matter against, like, utility creatures, creatures with an activated ability, like Predation Stewart, 
or creatures with some kind of meaningful passive like the um, green, black, and common, or really a lot of the uncommons. I'm assuming that they're not attacking with those into a Gixian Raptor in a spot where you should, where you can just trade. Usually they're attacking with a creature that's functionally just some numbers and you're blocking with your Raptor. The Raptor like blocks pretty well. The, one of the things that I love about the Raptor is it can participate in double blocks where your opponent is threatening to like use a trick to ruin your block. But if they do that, you just jump up the Raptor's power and trade off anyway, so you don't get like defrauded by it. Um, so I like to keep the Raptor around to keep doing that, to keep playing around pump spells the way that it plays around them. And so in general, I wouldn't like prioritize trading off in a spot where it's just trading with something that's numbers. In general, uh, green-blue is a big game kind of archetype rather than a small game kind of archetype. So you're happier to just bounce off than to trade. Um, especially with something that, like the Raptor that has some extra utility. Um, also, the Raptor can you know, help turn the corner, of course. It's a flyer that can get a bunch of extra damage you need to. Do you think Proliferate is bringing any value here? It's obviously attacked down to a decent chunk of blue and some green. Yeah, the experiences that I've had with Proliferate are, you know, it's great if you get any of the uh, creatures that get bigger with oil. So specifically uh, the adaptive, the uh, evolving adaptive and the um, flying one of those. You, it also, you know, gives you more counters on your like tumble magnet variants. And, uh, you know, again, you, sometimes you get like, I've played a game where I get some early poison in and then I just hang out and proliferate for a while. And then I like just find myself in a spot where my opponent's dead to some attack that forces through uh, like a lethal prolifer a lethal poison attack after I proliferated them up to like in range in a cannibal board stall. I would say, you know, it's not terribly uncommon for proliferating not to be very uh, profitable, but you're certainly looking for spots where it's going to do something for you. There are some strong six plus mana cards in the set. Are these cards even worth their investment in a set where you want such a low curve? A lot of them I think are pretty bad. You know, there's like... For that much mana, you want something that's going to, like, not easily just get hit by a removal spell and is going to win the game. Um, there are a few of those. It's worth playing in small numbers, but you want to make sure that you, you know, have all of your one, two, and three drops first. On the play side, does this deck have any surprising play patterns? Uh, like, if you handle a pre-draft deck to a good player who, would, if you hand a pre-drafted deck to a good player, who'd never played the format before, what generic advice would you give them about how to play? Um, great question. Uh, my primary advice, if I just like drafted a deck and I needed to like tag out of a team draft and have someone else play it, would be don't keep a hand that uh, doesn't have cheap plays. Like you need to play, like I've drafted a lot of them to be able to make sure that I don't fall behind. And um you have to mulligan pretty aggressively in this format just to make sure that you're going to get to not like fall too far behind early. Um, so mulligan pretty aggressively just to have like a one or two drop and a three drop. Don't worry about pushing damage basically ever. Uh, take your attacks when it's free, but don't trade life. Then I think for the most part, like the cards are going to kind of naturally like lead to a spot where attacking is free as long as you you know, prioritize defense first. Um, so I guess that'd be the main advice I'd give. I think like the cards, like the play is mostly pretty straightforward. Is Font of Progress too slow as a win condition or blue green in blue green? I think Font of Progress is mostly too slow for the format, even though there are a lot of decks that can like 
get counters on it really quickly. I played one in my last deck where I had Jace and I had two retrofitters and I was mostly playing it just to have a cheap artifact that I could animate that had kind of a backdoor kill someone in a board stall, which is a thing that I was trying to engineer. I think most of the time you shouldn't play it, but if you're very good at generating a board stall, I could imagine putting it in a deck as I just have. Most of the time, I think it's more of a you know sideboard card for like mirror matches and best of three situations. Could blue-green have an artifact matters theme? I actually drafted precisely that at the uh, during day two of the Star City Open. That was a spot where my draft was kind of a mess in pack one, like nothing was open, and I eventually accepted that I needed to be blue. And then in pack two, I opened Thrun, so I was like all right, I guess I'm blue and I have Thrawn. And when I had decided to be blue, it was like I had a couple of uh, like eyes. And I, I was just like very much in on the artifact thing. And then I had to like play green because Thrawn. The answer is green gave me very, very little support, uh, but I was, you know, blue heavy enough because blue is so wide open that I was just playing like the aggro artifact blue core with Thrun, the uh, five mana, five, five, uncounterable, trample, indestructible on your turn, hexproof from non-green, rare. And that deck was okay. You know, if I know going into it that I'm going to be blue-green, I'm not going to try to have an Artifact Matters theme. But when you're actually on the field, sometimes you have to go off book. So could it? Yes. Should it? No, I guess is my answer. Is this a mindset that could potentially work for other colors? Yes. Blue-green seems like uh, best for it, but if you have all the good cards, but not much uh, coming for green, it could be easily be done as something like blue-red or blue-white. Yeah, I, I do think that a number of colors can, draft, can play defensively. I think there are a lot of rares that make you want to. I think that that's something that will be better understood in the coming weeks by the community in general. Like I said, I think, you know, no matter what colors you are, the important part is just like having a curve, but there are definitely a lot of colors that can like specifically prioritize cards that block well in that curve and try to play a longer game. What are the current stats on the draw? Yesterday, it was like a 60% win rate on the play. So uh, people might hear this stat thrown around a lot. It was, uh, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't know if it was 60% or 56% or something, but uh, it was from 17 lands, but it was specifically mostly or entirely from the early access event, which was quick draft. And I would say it is not really relevant to the format as a whole. I'm not sure what the numbers will be once we have like actual data on, you know, regular humans premier drafting. Um, but that number that you might see thrown around is not a real number at the moment. There's a, I mentioned that someone else is playing blue green artifacts right now, but the artifact theme is mono blue. Yeah, that's, that was my experience with it. The two green green, four, four toxic three that proliferates for one in a green when it enters the battlefield seems to hit, uh, almost every archetype that green touches. What are your thoughts on this card? It's great. Generally pretty happy to like. You know, I, I I agree. It's good in every green deck. I want to take it whenever I see it when I'm in green. I don't think it's an unreasonable card to first pick. It's just a very good uncommon. Implying the pre-release players are not regular humans. Now, the implication there, to just to be clear, is that uh, the format was quick draft, meaning drafting against bots. And so uh, when I was talking about uh, playing against regular humans, I meant in the draft portion. 
the quick draft format against bots is going to play out pretty differently as well. Do you have a preliminary sense of if this is among the strongest archetypes or that blue haters are onto something? As a blue hater in this format, I think they're onto something. I do not actually think that this is among the strongest archetypes. I think that this is currently among the most avoided archetypes. So it's among the most open archetypes. You know, if I were to just like sit down with some bots that are gonna just like choose a color at random and pass me cards in all the colors equally, I wouldn't want to touch blue. But if I'm sitting at the tables that I've been experiencing, where somewhere between zero and one other players are going to draft any blue cards that they can when there's like another card that I could take, then I think that there's a lot of value to be gained by learning how to give yourself the best chance possible with blue. And this is a deck that I've found early success with. It's not that I think that blue-green is secretly like something that's really good that everyone should be trying to draft. It's that in the, you know, kind of culture or metagame where no one is drafting any of these cards, I think that it's worth knowing how and having an openness to drafting them. You mentioned Malkatara's Eye a couple times. Is that a card you're actively looking for when drafting blue? I thought the card looked terrible, but haven't played with or against it. So that's the one in a blue, one one flying vigilance when it dies, draw a card. Uh, I think that that card actually blocks really well. It's very, very good uh, against, you know, the like one one flying toxic black creature, of course. But also, you know, like Dune Mirror. There, there are a few different one toughness creatures that really want to attack you. And if you play eye against them, they can't really do anything about it. Like they don't want to have to use a removal spell on your eye and they don't want to trade one of your creatures for the eye. So their creature just has to kind of sit there. Meanwhile, you have a vigilance flyer that's actually getting some damage in. And then on top of that, if you just need to jump block with it, which is, you know, a valid thing to do in this format, you get your card back and it's not that bad. And then it's probably the actual best uh, target for Umptus's Retrofitter, which again is a single uncommon, but is the best blue uncommon. And if you're drafting this because blue is open, you're not terribly unlikely to have one or two of them. And getting a two mana 4 4 flying vigilance that draws a card when it dies is absolutely game breaking. I've played against that curve and it is a total nightmare. I think if you don't have Retrofitter, I is like kind of fillery, but uh, Oh, sorry. I may have said the wrong thing. So there's Malkatur's Watcher and Malkatur's Eye. Uh, I I was just discussing the Watcher, which is the Flyer. The Eye is um, Eye of Malkatur, the uh, three-man artifact that turns into a 4-4 four, four, um, and scries to. That card is not very good in blue-green because it's purely an aggressive card. That card is for the aggressive blue artifact decks. I have played... I, I mentioned that the... Uh, version of this deck that I had at the open was like a blue artifact deck where I actually tried playing some um, eyes in blue green and it was very very bad because it was hard to be the player who was aggressive even when I had this like 4-4 even when I could turn it on and the fact that it just only played one way was a huge problem. I think that uh, the eye is a reasonable card in blue white where uh like the um mandible the uh 2-1 lifelink creature that gets bigger when an artifact enters and like the flash thing that taps their creatures and the charge of the mites that can uh animate at instant speed can kind of let it play both ways and also that is better at 
just like being the aggressor and not necessarily needing the blocker. So I, I think the eye is, uh, you know, good in that archetype, but not, not, not getting blue green. Even, even if you're trying to do a bit of the artifact theme, I would still try to avoid it blue green, but the one on flyer, just... I think that's going to, uh, wrap it up. I'm uh, kind of current on questions. I'm uh, worried about an hour. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And as I mentioned, I think next week, I expect that I'll already be ready to uh, open this up to a poll about uh, which archetype I'm going to talk about. Um, so I'll be back next week with a deep dive into something else. What that is will be up to uh, the patrons. If you want to get in on that, follow along with the notes, uh, get some of these more in-depth in-depth notes that I'm aspiring to create moving forward, then, you know, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes uh, to get in on all that and uh, support the podcast. So thanks and bye for now.